Hey, everybody. This is Shane Douglas Keene, and I'm here with my partner, Rich Duncan. And we have the honor to talk today with Josh Mailerman. Josh, I've already done this, but how the hell are you? <laughs> Hello, guys. Hi, I'm wonderful. I, um, I finished writing a new book about three days ago. Um, I mean, man, I could talk about this for like an hour, like just in and of itself. But this was book 30 for me. And that's obviously significant, whether or not, you know, I, I happen to be something of a numbers guy um, before even starting to write books. And, and, and at about book seven or eight, I started thinking, what would it be like to write 30 books, you know? And then I read like Richard Lehman wrote like 30 or 40 and this guy wrote 50 or this girl wrote, you know, and you start hearing all these like unfathomable numbers and to reach number 30 about three days ago. I was there was a one little side of me that was worried that it might feel um what's the word less um less of an experience than the first one because I I I don't know I know that you can't do something 30 times and and feel like um uh as good as the first time right of course right but at the it's, same time if you if you wrote 30 books and you're like 40 years old and you said like you're really talking about something you do once or twice a year. So isn't it possible for that for that achievement to sort of maintain that um that excitement of that first one, right? Um it's right. not like you're doing it every day. It's not like it's not like going to the bathroom. So so I finished number thirty and I just sat back and I was like, Oh man, this feels this feels good. And it was just this I don't know. There's some rough drafts you write that maybe you feel like <laughs> you had you you wrote a story that um the muffler was missing right like 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 it's real loud and messy and you're like ah fuck I'm gonna have to replace the muffler on this book you know <laughs> but but this one this one did not feel like that guys this one I was like mm, yeah that was a smooth ride thanks for letting me take it it was it was a good one right and see that's the thing is if if you feel like you're getting better at a thing then you continue like um you're a musician I'm a musician. Um, if I play a song and I play it better than I've ever fucking played it before, I'm more elated than the first time I learned how to play yeah. that. Yeah. Hey, great fucking example. Wow. I hadn't thought of it in those terms. Huh. Right. And, and, Instead of looking at it like 30 different books, look at it like writing. And then like yours, because what you're saying right now is if you're playing the song better than you did before, chances are you've become not just adapted that song but also maybe a slightly better musician and like and that's something interesting to think of i hadn't thought of it in those terms exactly it kind of makes your accomplishment feel more concrete and more permanent yeah um huh. and this is kind of where, where i dim speaking of co accomplishments this is where i demonstrate my annie wilkes to josh mailerman connection <laughs> um you have before, Bird Box was like your 15th novel, right? So, okay. So, I, I mean, if you, I guess why not? We're, we have all the time in the world. I wrote, um, Bird Box was the fourth rough draft that I wrote, the fourth book I wrote. Um, and, but I didn't shop it until I had already written, I don't know that number right now. Let's just say 12, okay? Something like 10 or 12 or something or 14, somewhere around there. So let's say 12. So I'd written like a dozen books when I, when we finally went to shop Bird Box. But what happened was at some point I rewrote it from scratch. So 
the rough draft. Hold on, hold on. That that I'm I'm not sure if you guys could hear that notification. The rough draft was um like it almost like the world's greatest outline or something like that. You know what I mean? So right. so in a way, yes, I had written twelve books before, but in another way, it was the fourth one I wrote. So it's a little Bird Box for me has always been a little hard to place. Like when did you write this one? Like if a tree falls in the woods. So if yeah. You wrote it, <laughs> If you rewrote it from scratch, when did you write this one? <laughs> yeah, and I and even after it was picked up um, by Harper Collins is when I did that. So then the the question even becomes a little bit bigger. It's like, what did they buy? What 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 book did did they did they the, the only scene that I didn't touch in um, all of uh, uh, Bird Box and the rewrites was the birth scene in the attic. Everything else was like from scratch. I redid it. So, so there's like the sense of like, what did what what the fuck did they buy? <laughs> a whole <laughs> a whole new book other than the one that you actually wrote the first time right. around. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, there was never any mention from them of like, hey, like this feels. They were like, oh no, these are good changes. I'm like, oh, changes. <laughs> what changes? <laughs> this is not even the same fucking book, guys. <laughs> Yeah. So that, that, so yes, it was the fourth book I wrote. But in hindsight, um, that I can see it was more like the fourth bigger idea I had. And then I would say, yeah, about twelve books, and then I got serious with it. Yeah. So yeah, you've written. I think your wiki says you've written. You had written fourteen before you shopped it. Um, well, whether that's absolutely dead on correct or not, who knows? But. Uh, it's uh, since then you would have written 15 or more books then. Yep. So Bird Box came out in it, it, it really it's been about two a year for 15 years. So Bird Box came out in 14. It was picked up in 12. So 11. Yeah. Uh, no, even more than that. It's um. yeah. No, it's been about, about exactly 15 novels since then. Um, yeah. And that's just amazing to me that that kind of uh prolificness is prolificity prolificity a word um <laughs> it is now yeah. yeah um that that's just amazing to me that you could produce that volume of work over that amount of time published or not um and and i mean what is it like eight you've published eight of the books you've written i think yeah and then so that's become you know, you know, okay, so the first book I ever wrote was called Wendy, and, and Wendy will always have such a special place in my heart. I have a paperback version on my desk right now, be, like literally right here, because when I finished that book I 15 years ago, I sent the file to my younger brother, who runs a large format print shop, and he, I just sent it to him like, I wrote a book, you know, because this is something I had been trying to do for like a decade before then. And Ryan, the next time I went to Ryan's house, he hands me this little, like, sort of nondescript, blue-covered, little paperback-bound thing. And I was like, what's what's this? And I opened it, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, shit, Ryan, you made a paperback out of Wendy, you know? And so that was sort of, like, the first moment. I, I don't know if it'll ever get more exciting than that, like, seeing the books, the hardcover, and the mail, and it's, like, super thrilling. But, dude, that, that copy of Wendy is still on my desk right now. So... I don't know if, like, at some point after Wendy, it was like, I wrote a book. Oh, my God. I guess I did it. And then it was like, wait, are we going to tell another story? 
it was like, oh, Jesus, wait, what do you mean we're going to tell another story? And like six months later, something like that, I'm like, yeah, all right, we can, we can try another one. And then I wrote Goblin. Um, and that was, fuck, that was a thrill to write that book, man. And I'd only had one book before it, you know. So now you're writing book two and you're like, oh, this is something I really do. It's not just something I did. This is something I do. And then, and it started to really build at that moment. Goblin was sort of my, I sometimes think that I'm still running on the fuel from Goblin right now. So that leads to this feeling of, okay, are you going to publish these books? If you're going to, maybe we should write a third one just, just so people have something to choose from. <laughs> so like a year later, I write the Wolverine line. And then uh, six months later, well, what if someone doesn't like those? What's a year later or six months later? I write Bird Box. All right, well, somebody doesn't like that one. And like it was this weird sort of in the early days, it was sort of like this sense of I wanted to be armed or something. If because I delusionally believed from the start that um, all of these were going to be published. I used to interview myself. I used to have imaginary conversations with uh, imaginary agents, like imaginary arguments, guys, with imaginary agents, with imaginary editors, where I would be like, uh, I'd be in the shower, and I'd be like, no, I think, it, I think that part should stay. Meanwhile, I'm not even like that in reality now. But that's how I would, it was like, it was, I almost want to write a book about that fucking guy, who I, I, I'm not even quite sure, I'm, I'm, he's, he's very endearing to me now. But anyway, so at first there was this sense of like, it was almost this like delusional sense, blah, 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 that we're going to like pull this off. We want to be armed in case something comes up or blah, blah, blah. Then when Bird Box actually got picked up, as Wikipedia is probably right, there's 14 novels, whereas I imagined this is the greatest embarrassment of riches one could hope for. Instead, I'm like, oh, shit, how the fuck are we going to get these all out there? And so now it's become, as you said, seven or eight of them are out, right? And now it's become like, how, what do we do to get all of these out? Because there's 23 more in this office right now. And so I could literally do nothing. No, well, I would have to rewrite or else it'd be really embarrassing. I could do nothing for the next, I guess, 11 years, put out two books a year, write nothing new, and I'd be caught up or something. Well, fuck that. I mean, we're going to write new stuff along the way. So what can we do to put these out? And so what has started to happen was, Limited editions like Goblin and On This Day of the Pig. Um, just bizarre, different options like This Is Horror putting out A House of Bama Lake. Um, Richard Chismar asked for a story um, that something related to state fairs or carnivals for a um, for an anthology, right? And I had one of those thirty novels. Is this one that was about seventy thousand words? And I was like. Man, if I can smush this down to like 35, maybe Richard would take like a novella in that book. And I talked to Richard. Can I can I get you a novella instead of, of a short story? He's like, oh, we would love that. Great. Now that one, I kind of like Trojan horsed that one into the fold. It's this constant, I don't say juggling act, but there's this constant awareness of, okay, you got a lot of books. How are we going to get these out there? And I, and I think that seven or eight is a good, it's a great start. And maybe, and maybe it's, um, a bad idea to feel, uh, the pressure of these other 23. But like, dude, I, I want them out there, you know? I want them to be out there. I want them. Cause here's the thing that's weird to me is that I'm, like, I'm seeing, um, reviewers or, or, or someone like saying, comparing Unburied Carol just to 
bird box and like black mad wheel. But in my universe, in this office, Unmarried Carol is compared to like 29 other novels. And so like, and, and I don't expect one person to read all these books, but I do like my heart is set on all of like the whole body of work getting out there. Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. I was actually going to ask you about that. So I'm kind of glad you touched on it. And um, one thing that I liked what you said is how you felt like you were still kind of riding the energy from Goblin. And one thing I wanted to ask you, cause I read that a little while ago and I loved it and I was just curious yeah, I, it seems like they're, it's almost kind of got kind of like a mythology, maybe like S- Stephen King's Castle Rock or uh, Greystone Bay from Charles Grant. I was just curious if you were planning on revisiting Goblin, because I noticed it kind of comes up only tangentially through um, on this, the Day of the Pig. And I was just curious if you consciously, you know, wanted to expand on Goblin and like maybe work it into some of your other works or if it's just yeah. like its own thing. Yes. A hundred percent. When I, so when I sat down to write that one, I had a list of 10 novellas that I wanted to write. And then, um, at number six, I just ran out of gas. I was like, I was like, ah, well, six is good too. And then I was like, let's, yeah, we're just not going to do these other four. And then through the years, I'm like, well, we still got those other four and we've got a million other ideas. And, See, like, Goblin, to me, that's a safe um, sequel. Like, there's no, like, what's the, what's the right way to put this? Like, somebody might perceive writing Mallory as a money grab. They might. Somebody could perceive writing a sequel to Unbury Carol as, or, or, or maybe you wrote Smoke's story. Maybe he was out of more ideas, something like that. But Goblin is a safe sequel. It is. In that you can, because... <laughs> Anything can happen in that city. It's just a fucking location. It's almost like that Twilight Zone, right? Okay, something right like that, right? For 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 a different writer. Yeah. So, so to me, I a hundred percent want to go back to Goblin. I don't know exactly what that means yet. I do know that Del Rey um is picking up Goblin as uh to put it like a wide paperback release, and so I don't know. Maybe that will lead to that, but also. Why not just write the, you know, the next Goblin installment next just for no reason? And maybe I will. Um, That would be that would be fantastic, I think, to see more of Goblin. And it would be fantastic to see that get a mass market release, because I think it'll I think it'll really resonate with people. Totally agree with you there, Shane. Like there was when I was reading that, I liked how each novella had its own feel and even just something like the creepy, like, cops, like, I was yeah. like, man, I wonder what the deal is with those guys. And I was like, you could write, like, a whole novel just about those cops and, like, you know, what the story is behind them. And yeah, it's just such a great book. I, I, I thank you so much for saying that. It's like um, any landmark that's mentioned in the book, any character that's mentioned in the book, any school, any... Uh, road is you can write a story any single one of them so like if they're like we're on north south or we're on christmas or we were at goblin games okay now there's three more novellas those three let's go let's tell the story on christmas let's tell the story in goblin games let's tell a story about the police and let's excitedly do it right so that that's the beauty i think and i'm sure stephen king recognized that and charles grant and william faulkner for sure 
who is one of my fucking all-time favorites. So, like, yeah, Goblin, if I want it to be, it's an endless source of, uh, of like, fiction for me. But I hadn't really thought of that till recently. And so you talking about it to me now is actually really inspiring. So thank you for, for bringing that up like that. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, you guys. I was talking to my microphone, but my uh, mic was muted. <laughs> um, I do that all the fucking time. So do <laughs> so I. <laughs> uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, Mallory is money grab. Um, I can see how people might think that, but at the same time, I can't see how anybody who's read your body of work could possibly think that either. Yeah. Uh, it is something that, and, and that, this is probably the first time I've talked about that in a uh, in a public way or at all, or something. I've talked about it with my family and friends, but like I do care about that kind of thing. Like not, um, it's not like I'm not going to do it because people think that or something like that. But like I also, I do pride myself on being pure about writing and in the genre, and and I'm sure you guys do too, and I'm sure you know uh, Anya Alborn and Victor and and, a, and like a lot of us like do like pride ourselves on on doing it because we love it so i was a little bit concerned at first i'm like oh this is gonna look a little crazy but i mean you know i i have the whole uh whatever reasoning behind it and most importantly i have the book which i have to start a rewrite um a fairly extensive one on monday uh of mallory and i absolutely love it i absolutely love it so i don't know I, you know, I, I think there's probably going to be, or maybe, maybe nobody would say something like that. And I was just being paranoid. I, I don't know. Um, I yeah. I, I haven't heard anybody really say it, but when I, when I heard Mallory was coming out, I kind of went, um, some people are going to possibly think this is a money grab. Yeah. You thought it too. Right. Okay. Well, good. We're just being real and honest with each other, which good. I'm glad that I'm glad I brought it up and I'm glad you're saying that too. Cause and, that's why, that's the way people think. Yeah. And then, right, and then if you knock it out of the park, though, then it's like, oh, who cares, right? What this, this is fun, right? Um, but what's it called? Uh, I'll just tell you real fast is that, so there's an, a pretty awesome thread in the original rough draft of Bird Box that at some point I had to say to myself, dude, there's no room for this. The original Bird Box was, I think, a hundred and, I, I know this actually, 113,000 words. And the one that was published was 68,000. And wow. some of that was extra housemates. Some of that was just like me riffing, like saying the same thing twice a million times, embarrassingly. And some of that was this other thread. And this other thread, when um, the movie came out and it was like, did so well. And I'm like watching the movie. And at the end of the movie, I turned to Allison and I'm like, Jesus, man, I'm like, I want to know what happens to Mallory now. And she's, she's like, shut up, you know? And I was like, no, I, I do. And she was like, okay. Anyway, but then I started thinking about that thread that I removed from the first draft. And I was like, what about if it was about this, Allison? And she was like, oh, that's good. So that, that a thread from the rough draft ended up being the, I don't want to call it the sequel, because it's really a sort of a day in the life eight years later. So in the continuation, whatever. So... But so like it was taken, the thread was taken from that. But either way, like that doesn't mean, I don't know how to explain it. Like, would I have wrote the sequel right now if the movie hadn't come out? No, I can say that honestly. No, no, I'm not going to be like, yeah, I was planning it anyway. No, you weren't. I wasn't. 
But I've always wanted to do that. And I always kind of assumed, you know, one day, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, we'll write about that thread. Maybe it'll be different characters, but it's definitely going to be that world. It'll be that thread, blah, blah, blah. And when the movie came out and the reaction was totally freaking insane, and I myself was in the theater like, I kind of want to see a little bit more. I don't want to necessarily give more away. I just want to see a little bit more of this. And I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to fucking do this. And so that that's what that, those are the steps that led to this. Yeah, it's interesting you said that because that was actually one of the questions I was going to ask you as to what inspired you to do Mallory. And I think that's probably I really like that the movie was based on, you know, your work, but their vision of it, you know, impacted you and inspired you to maybe seek out that thread. I was just curious, too, as far as Mallory goes, besides what inspired you to write it is, you know, a lot of writers, they don't often want to go the sequel route, but I think that it could be interesting to see, and you said it picks up eight years later, is, you know, the movie inspired you, but did you maybe have anything you, like, other than that thread, was there anything you really wanted to explore with that character? Because I know Bird Box probably is a special book to you since it was the first one published. Yeah, uh, great question, Rich. Uh, it was, yes, definitely. And it's been Mallory herself um, from the start. It's the one, I, I guess, I don't know how to really explain this. I almost feel like, and in, in a way we are, but I wish the three of us were just sitting in a bar, like, pounding booze right now and talking about, characters in this because I, I almost want to like look you in the eye when I say these things that I'm saying to you and I always want to like like I don't know I want us to be excited by the music in the bar I, I don't know how to explain what I mean but what I'm trying to say is that Mallory for me herself has always been like the easiest character I ever wrote meaning that I, there was something about her where there's other stories I've written a number of them where they've felt sort of um not Twilight zone but like I don't know if I cared whether or not there was quote unquote character development. Like I felt sometimes I feel like for me, a couple of my favorite characters of the book are the scenario and the scare and the scare can often be off page. So for as long as you want. So like, if you know you're going to read a horror novel and then you just start reading a book about a family, they move into a home, dad takes or dad and mom take this room Brother takes this room, sister this room, dad's in the basement, nothing scary is happening, but you know you're reading a horror novel, well guess what? Now you as the writer, the scare is a character of yours that hasn't entered the book yet. And that's like a super exciting engine to be like, to be revving, you know, while you're writing. You're like, it's not here yet, but it's coming, and you know it's coming, because you know this is a scary book. Right. So you don't have to. I mean, you can come come out with it right away, of course. But it's sometimes fun to like, like, hey, hold on. Hold on. Why don't you move into that house first? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, Mallory, for me herself, was one of like the one of the I guess the first time where it it just she became very natural to me as an actual developed character. And I was like, oh, this, this woman's a little bit beyond scenario. This woman's a little bit beyond scare for me. And, and it was never in a sexual way. It was never in a love way. It was never in a crush way. Um, it, was, it was also never in a um, pat yourself on the back way. But it was in a sort of like brother-sister, 
like borderline twin sister way. That's funny. Yeah. That's exactly what I was just going to say is more like a sister sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Where I, where I felt like this woman is, is, is acting exactly how I would act in this world where I would be mostly fly in the wall. I would probably retain what I thought was right and wrong. I would probably gravitate towards the optimist in the house. I would probably be wary of the skeptic in the house. Um, all these things like I, I just really related to her. So to answer your question, and I realize I've been long winded on every question so far, but thank you guys for that. Um, so to answer your question, um, the, that, that side of it was, I guess, is a constant inspiration in the same way that I can go back to Goblin. I feel like I could, I literally feel like I could always go back to Mallory. I, I would like to write about Mallory just sitting on a front porch, man, just watching. Well, I guess she can't watch much. <laughs> yeah, not much, huh? <laughs> just enjoying her blindfold and smoking some yeah. weed. And... <laughs> just enjoying her blindfold with the tumbleweed coming by and the wind blowing in her hair. Just enjoying that blindfold. Yeah, no, seriously. Yeah, that's 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 it. She's she's uh she's been one of my favorites to write about so far. One of my favorites to read too. Um, oddly, your characters. When it comes to your characters, my favorite characters have. Uh, both been women because uh, Mallory is probably my number two favorite versus your number one favorite and Carol Evers is my number one favorite. Oh, Carol Evers, man. What a what a joy she was to hang out with too. And Smoke, Smoke was a total thrill. You know, I do actually like have fantasies of writing a book just about Smoke, but I'm not I, sure what that would I'd mean. I'd read that. I'd read that. I fucking love Smoke. Same here. That would be an incredible that would be an incredible story. Like I know he's the quote unquote villain of that story and he's a pretty bad guy, but I think it would be interesting to explore his backstory. Yeah. And also to explore, like imagine, like imagine smoke on, I guess you could, you could, I mean, you could sort of foolishly open with like the end of unmarried Carol and they never like, his broken body was in the grave. Where is he now? Right. He somehow left or whatever. Or maybe he had a tin. Now he has a tin chest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. That could like the 10 foot kind of thing. Um, Yeah. And the really the whole trail, you could, you could take stories all over the trail and beyond. Yeah. I love the trail as far as the setting. I thank you guys. Yeah, that now that makes me feel what you're saying right now makes me feel like, hey, the trail is its own little goblin. Why couldn't you write another series of events on that trail that when you know, you know, I don't know. You guys are very inspirational, and we've only been talking for like 30 minutes. <laughs> Thanks. And that kind of leads me into another question I had for you: is you know, with each book that it has its own sort of style and feel to it. You know, Bird Box, you took away sight, and it was kind of the unknown. Uh, With Black Mad Wheel, it was a mysterious sound. Unburied Carol is kind of like a weird Western, and so on and so forth. So you've kind of dabbled in like a whole lot of different styles. And even uh, your story in Darkness Delight, the one that was uh, written on the tombstone, and it was almost kind of like a poem or elegy sort of thing. I was just curious if, you know, there's any kind of writing style that inspires you or that you want to try with one of your future books, whether it be, you know, structure or genre. 
Man, yes. The answer to that is infinitely yes. I, I want to, I want, I mean, like the ultimate fantasy is Paradise Lost, you know? The ultimate fantasy is like an epic poem um, of like the scale, like the scariest, you know, like the ultimate horror epic poem, you know, that's like 400, 500 pages, that kind of thing. But, you know, I don't, I don't, I guess I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself really to do that yet or something, but that is sort of the ultimate one. Um, that I've had my eyes on that for years. Another one is um, with without really any intention of staging the play, um, like a 400-page like script or play that is a horror story, um, that would be still published as like a book, you know. Um, you know, it's it's. I feel like the thing that you're bringing up, I've seen a few times online. Like um, some people would be like, "This guy's books are all so different than each other," and inspection is nothing like bird box is nothing like unburied carol is nothing like um pig and sometimes i worry because i how do i explain this like i love the idea of um uh changing dramatically from book to book but at the same time i don't want to like genre hop i, I how do i how do i say that I, oh put it this way i don't mind genre hopping so long as like the voice like so long as you can tell the same dude wrote it and 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 i don't know if you can tell that with inspection and bird box and that's okay that's fine but i also don't want to get wrapped up in like all right well what haven't you done now so now let's do the craziest mother let's write this book backwards you know i want i want to make sure that we like that we jesus christ i just called me we when i'm talking about voices <laughs> all of us would like to see <laughs> yeah and if it makes you feel any better i feel like every story and book i've read from you your voice does shine through but i also feel that you know your ability to do different things with each story while maintaining your voice is part of the reason why people love your book so much well Okay, thanks. Thank you for saying that. I it is something that worries me, but it, it is also like I I don't know if you guys feel this way with um what you write, even when you, what you read and with the reviews. And I don't know if other authors who may listen to this feel this way. But at, at some point in my youth, when I was trying to write novels and trying to write songs, at some point like art itself. And I have no problem calling myself an artist. I know that some authors think it's pretentious, but I, to me, the artist is a very fun, colorful, cartoonish being. At some point, I was able to lock um, art into sort of like an untouchable place in my head where I was able to say, like, no matter how shitty things are, hap are going on in life, no matter what anyone tells you, if someone tells you, man, you need a plan B, or if someone tells you, dude, you're going to burn out, you're moving so fast. If someone tells you this or that or this, like somehow I'd be like, mm -hmm, yeah, no, I, yeah, you're right. I, I am moving too fast. And then I go home and work on the book. Like at some point I found a very, very safe place in my head for writing. And, and so the thing we're talking about right now in when I read this guy's so different in each of his books and I feel this sort of horror Oh no! You know you don't want to sit down and and either play up to that or not. And then when I sit down to write though, and I unlock that door, none of I don't even think about any of that stuff at all. It's like all right now, okay, let's write the next book. Number book number thirty one is going to be about you know Goblin two. <laughs> but like there's I, no like there's no sense. 
I, I don't have any, um, like, none of, like, bad reviews I've read, um, the success of Bird Box the movie, um, anything on the spectrum, anything that's ever been said, none of it ever makes it into the writing room with me. And, and I don't know if you guys feel that way when you're doing, like, you're writing your own thing or even doing what we're doing right now. Um, I'm sure you've read weird reviews of what we're doing now. And I don't know if you guys let it into the room, but I've that is one thing, whether or not the books are good, that is one thing I'm very good at is, is locking that door. And so this thing we're talking about when I say, oh, I'm worried about that or whatever, like, yeah, I guess so, but not, not when it really matters. Um, well, yeah, and the thing is, I think um, I compartmentalize pretty good, too. Um, but I think in the case of like talking about the different voices and, uh, the different rather stories in each book and your kind of horror over, well, people know it's the same guy writing it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think people kind of crave that anymore in a writer, you know, because I mean, you can, you can write the same old fucking vampire and zombie stories over and over again. And I don't want to read that shit. Yeah. You know, I want a new story and you write new stories every time. Well, thank you. And also, <clears throat> also, there's like a and, and I've talked about this before, but I, I know, Shane, you're for sure going to get this, man, is I don't know if the genre has ever been quite as elastic as it is right now. And it is so fucking exciting. And, and like when questions come up, is this horror? Is this I don't even like whatever. Who cares? You know, um. Like, I'm not even concerned about, like, Laird Barron. Laird Barron's writing, like, crime novels or something. Oh, okay, he's still, he, those count. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're all in the same, like, we're all in the same boat. And, and like, like his newest book is just as important as his first book. And, 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 and for all of us, that stands for all of us. So I think that the, the genre has never been, like, as elastic as it is right now. And definitely this is happening in movies. Oh, my God, for sure. Like, Midsommar and others. But there is this sense of like, all right, so we all saw Midsommar. Okay, now, like, now, um, Victor, Laval, um, what are you going to do? Like, give up, now, now you stretch. Hey, Josh, you stretch. Anya Alborn, you stretch. Like, even now in the reviews, Sadie, you stretch. Shane, you stretch. Like, there is this sort of exciting thing where I feel like we're all, you know, you can number it as probably, the number is probably 50, 60. I don't know how many of us there are, but there's a lot of, lot of us. Um, that are working in the genre, whether it's films, reviews, readers, writers, uh, poets. And I think that we're all sort of like a part of this same sort of metamorphosis moment in horror that is like so fucking exciting. Where it's like kind of like not just pushing the envelope, but just tearing it to fucking shreds. Yeah. Um, well, and it, it is that way. It, it's more like you say, it, I like the term elastic because yeah. it's extremely elastic. Yeah, and it is, and that almost makes it even scarier. Why? Because the scariest thing to everyone is the unknown. Well, guess what elasticity does for us? It gives us new avenues that we don't know. So when you enter like a whole new, you know, line of thinking or a whole new sort of beat by beat, like, like I love the idea of someone writing a book that is intentionally choppy, chunky, clunky, bad, because we're like, we've sort of seen this thing happening recently where like there's a, and I, Bird Box may even fit into this, where there's all these sort of what Allison and I call bullet thrillers. They're like, they're like, bam, like from the word go and it goes, 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 goes to the end. And some of them are so good. It's like mind blowing. But if the unknown is what scares us, 
Like I want to, I kind of want to read a book right now where the rhythm's all fucked up, man. Where it's clunky as hell. Where like I don't, I literally don't know where it's going because I don't even know if the author knows where it's going. Like that sort of elasticity, it can stretch beyond just subject matter. We can stretch beyond um, vampire and werewolves. We can also stretch like the actual style. And, um, and, and like to the point where you're not exactly sure like who the fuck wrote this book. And that's not, yeah, I love to see stuff like that. Like um, uh, Daniel Lewski comes to mind if I'm pronouncing his name right. Yeah, uh, you you are with House of Leaves. Exactly. Yeah, yeah um, that's, that's the apex of, of that sort of thing, huh? Isn't it? Yeah, it is right yeah. now. It's like, that, yeah, that book took some balls to write and to publish, too. Yeah, no, no doubt, man. God, I fucking love that. But you know what I love? Um, did both of you read that? Yeah, I'm sure you did. The, yeah. Um, the moment that always chills me is then uh, where the daughter, I think it's like the daughter is saying always, and then the either the dad or someone rec- realizes that always sort of sounds like the echo of the word hallway. And I was like, okay, I was like, this dude's fucking operating at the next level right now, man. <laughs> really, really. Um, and, and it is chilling, you know, it's kind of like, okay, the first time I ever felt that kind of a chill from a story was probably uh, Barker's Books of Blood. Oh, dude. You know? dude. Yeah. And in a way, that's when the ship really started turning, too. Kind of. Right, right in the middle of that splatterpunk era, it started turning, and Peter Straub started writing the Blue Rose trilogy, and all of a sudden, fiction was turning in this whole new direction. Yeah, and it's and it's it, you're totally right. It, it's funny because if we're going to talk about elasticity and horror, my God, Clive Barker is like he's like the poster boy for it. And I, by the way, I met him recently at a uh, horror convention in the Detroit area. And um, it was as emotional, as mind-blowing as you may imagine. I bought um, a first edition of the Damnation game, and he looked up at me because he was sitting down. Well, I guess he's short anyway, but he looked up at me, and he he goes, I wrote this book when I was 31 years old. And it was like, I just wanted to, like, start crying. I'm like, oh, my God, you're amazing. But he really seemed to take to Allison. Him and so I, I had like I was just a dude that signed a book, and I had a friend there that was like, "Mr. Barker, you blurbed Goblin, you know." And he was like, "Oh, Goblin was wonderful, you know." And I had this, that, I had my moment with him. But Allison got a Magica signed after um, I met him, and she sort of crouched in front of him, and the two of them like talked for like ten minutes or more, and he drew her pictures, and the two of them really, really seemed to hit it off. That's amazing, too. It's yeah. kind of like I watched him last night. Somebody posted a picture, uh, Mark Allen Gunnels, or a video, actually. Mark Allen Gunnels asked him what advice he'd give to a young writer. And he sat there and conversed with Gunnels for a long time, very, very yeah. openly, very, very useful information that he gave him that I'm not going to repeat here, but... It's like, okay, I'm kind of an emotional guy anyway, but when I see a guy with that huge of a of a footprint, yeah, taking that kind of time, it literally yep. brought tears to my eye. Yeah, me too. It really did something for me to watch Clive Barker talking to Allison. Also, on another level for me, Allison is is like a an artistic marvel that sometimes I sometimes I feel like I'm like um some like mad scientist living with this like crazy alien creation that's in the house or something where she's like, 
everything she does is this like, my God, this woman can, you know, she's, she's one of the most bizarre, unique artists I've ever encountered in my life. And then so to see her bond with Clive Barker made a lot of sense too. And, it, and but I would never would have thought of that on my own. I never would have right. been like, you and Clive Barker would be friends. <laughs> but yeah, you can really see that though. When you go like, she's like this makeup artist, come voice actor, come singer, songwriter, uh, instrumentalist yep um that what what doesn't she fucking do yeah no seriously it's a little overwhelming sometimes it's hard to keep up with uh if for real sometimes it is and then um it's also like one of the most exciting things i was i was telling someone this the other day is that we you know as you i think as you know we do these um theatrical readings and allison will literally do anything so like, I'll get up and maybe play a character, but then, like, the littlest thing, like, from Black Mad Wheel, I'm like, so, Allison, I think we should do the scene where Nurse, Al- where Nurse Ellen dances alone, but pretends to be dancing with a man. We'll play, like, this um, song that she loves, and then you, in a, in a 1950s nurse's outfit while I lay on a cot, you dance in front of the audience by yourself. Like, as if you're slow dancing with someone else. If she asked me that, I'd be like, oh shit, man. You know, Allison, I don't know if I, oh, shit. I don't know if I want to dance alone. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that would be pretty, uh, but you know, she was also willing to walk into what was it, an ice cream shop and a grizzly bear costume. <laughs> and yeah, that was nice. <laughs> and, and ask for and ask for a salmon donut. <laughs> exactly right. And and or some honey or got any bees or yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, she's fearless, man. She, um, I've never, in the last, since I've met her, I've never taken a flight without her. I had a, um, a, uh, a signing with Joe Hill, with Paul Tremblay, with, um, Cat Howard, and with, I, is it Thomas Quavel who wrote Hex? I can't, I don't know how to pronounce his name exactly, but I had a signing in Boston with that crew. And I, this was a few years ago, four almost, I think, and I was, like, as you can imagine, I'm like, this is unbelievable. I'm going to Boston and Paul Tremblay, Joe Hill and, uh, and Ken Howard. And, uh, you know, I was kind of like, this is unbelievable. It was the one flight in all of this book stuff that has gone on where Allison couldn't go with me. She dropped me off at the airport. I went through security. I'm sitting there at the gate, all that shit. And then we get in line to get on. The people in front of me get on. Oh, by the way, I also had a first class ticket. Um, In, in other words, there was... No reason not to get on that flight. And when I made it up to the point where you would hand them the thing to head down the tunnel, I just turned around and went, left the place and called Allison from outside. And I was like, hey, I, I didn't get on that flight. And she was like, D- wait, dude, what are you, what? what the fuck? Uh, is there another one after? I was like, no, 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 no. I, 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 I don't want to go alone. And she came up, she came and got me and I went home and had a great night with her. And it's this weird thing that I've discovered that is that her, her like fearlessness rubs off on me, man. And when she's not around and I'm like alone and with my normal anxious self, which is like, I don't know, maybe that's endearing to someone or, or maybe it's not to someone else. But when I'm alone with myself, those moments are like almost insurmountable. But when she's around, I can pull that shit off. And so that was the one flight I didn't get on. And I've flown like 20 or something times since then. I talked to Paul Tremley about that recently. Um, and it, so her, whatever she is, extends beyond, you know, in my life, extends beyond like, holy shit, this girl can sing. You know, it's like this woman is fearless 
And when you hang out with her, you kind of feel a little bit fearless too. I can imagine that would be um, um, contagious. And I'm sorry, Rich, I cut you off. And I know you had something you wanted oh. to say in this vein. So, <laughs> Oh, no, you're all good, Shane. Um, yeah, Josh, kind of going off that, um, I know you do a lot of creative readings for your books. Um, like you said, Allison helps you with that. Um, the one you did for inspection, I thought that was really cool. And even, you know, Bird Box and all the other ones. I like that you bring a theatrical element to your readings. And I was wondering, you know, and I know Allison helps you with this. Is there anything you guys would like to try with your live readings as far as that stuff goes? Maybe like a theatrical element and, uh, I was kind of talking to Shane about this, sort of jokingly, sort of serious. I don't know if you know John uh, Darn Heel of the Mountain Goats, but I was like, man, their musical styles are similar. They yeah. both write the same kind of stories. I was like, how cool would it be if, and you're like, you're both musicians, you're both writers, if you each did like your own thing, but maybe like packaged it with you know like a split seven inch or something okay. i know that's two that's, separate questions but no that's a fucking <laughs> awesome idea first of all uh is he did he write like wolf in a white van did he write that one yeah and i think the other one is universal harvester is, is it is he good i haven't read it yet is it pretty awesome i haven't read it yet but universal harvester sounds interesting to me it has something to do with a guy who works at like a vhs store and he starts getting like these weird tapes and it didn't even have to be him per se but i was like man i was like that's kind of perfect they both write in the heart like i don't think he classifies himself as horror but they're basically horror books and your guys musical styles are similar i was like you're right you know it's super interesting you're you're right i've never thought of this on my own and then hearing you saying what you're saying right now um i'm like huh Maybe I should reach out to this fucking dude. I should read <laughs> Wolf in a White Van first, but maybe I should reach out to him. To answer your first question, um, is there anything you want to try um, theatrically, maybe that we haven't? Well, one of the exciting things about um, these readings so far is that, oh man, I, I, I could literally talk about this for an hour. And I, and I also, I apologize if I'm like answering every question for a half hour. I really you guys are having me, and I don't mean to talk the whole fucking time, but... Uh, we crave verbosity from you. The more info, <laughs> the better, man. <laughs> we crave verbosity is a great fucking story title of its own. So, <laughs> so um, the let's just... I just want to, as quickly as I can, go through this, because it's really fun. The um, bird box gets picked up by HarperCollins, and they asked us... They asked me to um, do... They said that any of their... Um, authors that have sort of any musical talents at all, if they would like play an instrument and maybe talk about their book or read a scene, that kind of thing. So I had this image of me like playing like an E minor, A minor, and like reading, you know, a scene. And I'm like, uh, no, 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 let's, let's, I'm going to get my band. We're going to do like horror music. We're going to get this violinist in town. Allison will play Mallory. It, let's make a radio show, that kind of thing. And we did that instead. And Harper Collins was really excited about it. And a few months later, when the book came out, they were like, okay, now we're going to put you on a book tour. And you just go around, you read, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what does that mean? What do you mean I read? The fuck does that mean? Like, I stand at a podium? Like, you, you have to understand how new all this was to me in 2014. 
And I'm like, well, I don't even understand what I mean. I'm saying at a fucking podium. Like I was like, wait, I, I, my voice is more akin to Woody Allen than it is Vincent Price. This sounds awful. I'm going to like absolutely ruin Bird Box, right? We you know, like I don't, you know, I'm gonna have to slow down by like, like I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna need a pitch shift on my own voice or something. So I was like, okay, hold on. Can we instead recreate that radio drama that we did for you guys? And they're like, we don't, yeah, you can do whatever you want, but but we're just gonna, you know, you should go out and promote the book. I was like, oh, we can do whatever we want. Okay, and that led to. Um, Allison and I thinking we bring the whole band and you play Mallory, which led to, wait a minute, everyone in this book is blindfolded. Why don't we blindfold the audience? Okay. So th this was a huge moment for us in our lives. All of a sudden we're driving around the Midwest with a suitcase full of blindfolds, blindfolding everyone. I'm playing scary music. People are playing characters. And I'm like, oh shit, this is, there's something a little grand we know about what we're doing. Then the next book comes up, Black Mad Wheel. And all of a sudden we realized, like, wait, we can't blindfold the audience again. So now we started needing props and we started needing um, uh, costumes like Allison in the nurse's outfit dancing alone and pre-recorded music because only Allison and I can go, all this kind of stuff. On Barry Carroll, no, Goblin, we got a, um, uh, uh, a great musician Steve Green, who you guys would fucking love. Check him out. He does like horror soundtracky stuff. And he played live while we act. I played Wayne Sherman. Allison played Walter Camp. Another friend played, um, Neil Nash. Like we're performing Goblin, these different stories on Mary Carol. This keeps getting bigger and bigger. And inspection was the time where it was the most thrilling one of all because it went from props, um, um, uh, uh, you know, blindfolds or not, this sort of thing, it went to the setting. Now we were like, hey, wait a minute. Let's not just do this at a bar, which has been really good. Let's not just do this in a bookstore. Let's do this in a fucking setting that actually the story would have taken place in. So we rented out the chapel of the Masonic Temple in Detroit. And it was the most, dude, uh, we walked in. And it was like we almost had to do nothing. I mean, Allison had the masks and we had the outfits and, and we have a narrator and I play the music and we had a drummer and all this stuff. But in terms of like making, changing the room, nothing, nothing to do. So inspection was a major um, quantum leap in terms of like the, these theatrical readings. The one thing that worries me is that there's some talk in our troupe and we call ourselves Wow Town. There's some talk in our troupe about, well, maybe soon we should all like memorize our lines like rather than like the narrator reading, right? This kind of thing. But the thing that worries me there is that then we travel from reading to theater. And, and I'm not being so dogmatic or something, but I like the idea that this is a bizarre book reading rather than a play. If we want to put on a play, let's put on a play. But the minute there's no narrator, the minute I'm not reading the book or, or Christie's not reading the book, and the minute that, like, Cindy and James and Allison and everyone memorizes the lines, now we're straight up theater. And that that's fine. And maybe that should be next, maybe not. So to answer your question, is there anything you want to try theatrically? Yeah, I kind of want to try that, that thing that I'm bringing up right now. But there's a side of me that's nervous that then we're shedding the skin of a book reading. And I kind of love that this is a bizarre book reading as it stands. It's just its own separate entity from from traditional theater as it stands right now kind of neither theater or reading so much as a 
amalgamation of a yeah. bunch of different things. Yes. Yep. Yeah, um, I, I definitely would like I I saw like some of the coverage for some of those readings and man, it seems like a blast. Like I almost wish you know other authors would kind of explore that sort of reading style because it seems like it'd be a blast to be a part of. Oh well, dude, and I oh go ahead, Shane. Sorry. No, you're you're all right, man. I was just gonna say, if either of you fucking dudes lived here, like let you would let let's go hang out with Wow Town. It's unbelievably fun. It's like it's a bunch of like weirdos in a room that are like, you know, well, you know, Al- Allison pretty much runs the show in terms of uh art department and who she thinks should play each part and that kind of thing. But it's like Christy, the narrator's like. Oh, while I'm while I'm reading, maybe I should like play the tambourine to your like. I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing. She's reading Unbury Carol while playing the fucking tambourine while I'm playing like carpenter like synth while Allison's dressed up as a dude. Smoke. I mean, it's just, it's so fun, guys. It's so fucking fun. I can't imagine. I would have a blast with something like that. But you yeah. gotta have to. It's like, okay, do you got a slot for a profane Mister Rogers with a guitar? Because that's about <laughs> all I can pull off. Uh, yes, we definitely. <laughs> That sounds amazing, actually. That sounds like a good, like a good story of its own. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a dude after, I think, our second <laughs> podcast say, hey, I really enjoyed this podcast, but I never pictured Shane Keen as sounding like a profane Mr. Rogers. I, and I since, think it was since, after Laurels. And since then, I've, I've pulled up uh, recordings of my voice, and I even sat there with audacity recording my voice and listening, and I have to confess... I sound like a profane fucking Mr. Rogers. <laughs> so. I, can't, I can't unhear it now that that guy mentioned it. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I felt like I started to hear it when you were just telling that story just then. I'm not even kidding. And, like, I have definitely would never have come up with that on my own, but I am starting to hear it. Hi, Alex. Alex just entered the room, by the way. We were just talking about you. And we were talking Hi. This is Shane and Rich, and we were talking about um, the readings and, and and the gazillion things that you do. How are you? I smell this little thing. Hi. Allison, you rock. Thank you. <laughs> Who are you? Um, that Shane? Yeah, yep, that is uh, right excellent, there. Uh, excellent reviews of Josh's work. I approve. Oh, stop. And, and everyone's work. <laughs> Nothing but sincerity there. Hi, right, thank you, man. Hey, can we hold on? Hold on, can we take five minutes? Absolutely, absolutely. Five minutes. I'm going to talk to Allison about our puppy that jumped into a swamp, and I'll be right back. Okay, Okay. I'll put us on hold for five, and then I'll put us back on when you come back. Okay. All right. Thank you, guys. Okay. Um, I'll edit some stuff out because I think I recorded the whole fucking time you guys were gone. (laughs) <laughs> uh, until just a few seconds ago. <laughs> uh, sorry, my mic was out of place, too. Um, she uh, seems like she is as cool as she seems like online. Yeah, dude, it's, I mean, you know, like I said, like sometimes, like I feel like I'm on a, like a treadmill, like a human treadmill or something, or, or, or something, because it's like sometimes it's hard to keep up with, and maybe she... Maybe she feels the same because, you know, we've lived in this house for a month and already in this house I started and finished a rough draft and all these other things. So maybe she feels like that, too. But there is a yeah, there's a lot of electricity between her and I in terms of all this stuff. In fact, 
where the kind of couple, um, the kind of duo that there's almost like, I don't want to say shame, but something like that of like, so what'd you do? What'd you do today? And you want to answer with like, um, <clears throat> well, I, I wrote like three chapters. What'd you do today? You know, like you, like you, you never want to be like, Oh, you know, but then sometimes I wonder if it would be healthy for her and I to just be like, Oh, uh, I just ate pizza and watched TV. <laughs> uh- <laughs> yeah, maybe, but at least at the same time, energizing each other creatively like that is, I think, kind of huge, really. Um, and, I mean, that's kind of – you kind of have that your whole life, though. You're kind of surrounded by creative people everywhere you turn, huh? Yep, I sure am, man. I'll never forget when uh, the High Strong had a show. This was my sort of um, – introduction to what you're talking about right now the high strong had a show the night that george bush was reelected. okay we had a show in downtown detroit and right before we played it was announced that he like had won again or something and it was like oh fuck like how are we gonna play right you know like this is oh shit right and i turned <laughs> and i turned to like my, to the drummer and i was like everyone i know voted for carrie and he goes of course everyone you know voted for carrie uh i was in the same boat with him i was in the same boat with our most recent debacle oh yeah well yeah i know it's funny like i know you well enough to know that without us even saying that like that that's how clear that kind of thing is these days it's almost like you know you can just you just fucking know but anyway yeah so that was my introduction to um to that to that like you're surrounded by these kinds of like thinkers and these kinds of people. And, and that started to become like, I started to take notice of that kind of thing. Like, Oh wow. I really am surrounded by like weirdos and artists and big thinkers and philosophical thinkers and that kind of thing. And I am. Yeah. But I, I love that. That's one of the things I miss about um, being in a band full time is that I constantly had people around me energizing me and, um, kind of without consciously doing so, pushing me to be more creative and more productive myself. So, are you not? You're not in a band, a full band right now? Nah, nah, I haven't been for years and years now. Well, why have you? I'm not to sound like Tony Robbins or something, but have you considered doing it? Like, are you thinking about it or something? Um, not not really a, as an actively full time thing. I kind of got a lot going in my life. I do uh every now and then still get together with people and play. I just don't, I'm not active in the scene anymore, so to speak. Sure. I understand. Uh, I could never not play. I could never not sing. I, I like sing. singing is like breathing to me, man. I would love for you to send me, uh, some stuff after this, some of your songs after this. Oh, Josh, I, I begged him and I don't think he has any recordings. Hmm. Uh, I have recordings. I just don't. Uh, I don't have anything oh. that I'm really super willing to share. Oh, shame! You told you wow. told me you had nothing. The, well. Yeah, no, nothing to share is the same as nothing. <laughs> oh man, um, I would love to hear. How, how about this? I'll send. Oh man, maybe that's a bad idea. I was about to say I'll send you a like a something where I'm like, oh, I don't know, you know. So then you could also send me something where you're like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I got this. I might do that someday soon. I, I got this. I'm kind of a super, super anxious sort of motherfucker and a super, super insecure sort of dude, you know, and so. 
Well, that one I'm not, but the anxious I am, and that's and that's uh, at, at times have has become um, debilitating. Like, oh, like I mean, not to the point where I can't leave the house or something, but like that story of getting on that plane and stuff. And then I don't know. At some point, I really started. Oh, you know, this was interesting. After I didn't get on that plane, um, again, I don't know how to say his name. Thomas Hueveld, Hue- Oveld. How do you say it? The guy who wrote Hex. I don't know. I I've always just said Hueveld, but I okay. I'm sure I'm wrong. Okay, no, no, no. But okay, so right, we're all in the same boat. So he sent me a message later that night where he's like, "Hey, listen, um, I told everyone because I wrote him. I was like." I told him, I was like, I didn't miss the flight. I didn't, I freaked out. And he sent me this message saying, I talked to Joe Hill and Joe wanted me to talk to you about, um, you know, it's okay to like take medication for this. And we're, and we've all like had like anxiety or depression or these kind of things in our lives, blah, blah, blah. It was like this really sort of unbelievably kind response from Thomas and Joe Hill to somebody who bailed on the, on the, signing just because he felt weird right and so i've had my moments as well with um where becoming a little bit bigger than just fuel but at some point i started to see it as like i don't know i started to see it as fuel or something i started to see it as like hey if you're if you're operating at this pace all the time maybe that's also why you've written written 30 books and will you take that exchange yeah fuck yeah i will Will you take this uneasiness, this unsettled, this scared, this like, like, like sissy, whatever fucking thing that you've been dealing with for like 30 years? If it means that you got 30 books that you think work, yeah, I'll take that exchange. Uh, I would good, take, yeah, it's a, it's a good fucking trade off, really. Yep, I think um, so too. It's like it's, you got this frenetic energy boiling in you, and it comes out in words, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, so, <laughs> and? <laughs> I don't know if there's a big and there. I, I'm I'm the same way, except for I don't have thirty books. I just have a you know a lot of a lot of failure and depression behind me. <laughs> yeah. Well. No. No. I, now now all I want to do is talk about you. <laughs> no. That that was totally that was totally just a joke on my part. And <laughs> no, I know. I know. <laughs> Um, question. I had a question. I don't remember what it was. Uh, oh, just something I like to like to ask people sometimes, um, authors rather is what is your favorite Mailerman book? Oh, published. Um, oh, wow. That's an interesting question to rebut with. <laughs> uh yeah, published, published. Published is Unmarried Carol. Um just because I feel like it's the most um I don't know if spirited is the right word, but um it's that word elastic that we were talking about earlier. Um it's super colorful to me. Um I just I love that each chapter is sort of a vignette in and of itself that um there isn't necessarily a cliffhanger like you don't end a chapter. Let, let, let's take the chapter of um, uh, Moxie's duel that his buddy writes on the wall of the schoolhouse, right? So you don't – it's not like the chapter ends with like, and then Moxie walked towards the duel, and then the chapter ends, right? 
and then it's a different chapter. Like the whole duel is explained in one chapter, and Moxie's entire encounter with Rot around the fire is explained in one chapter, and Moxie meeting Carol and their whole relationship leading up to them breaking up is explained in one chapter. And I, I and, and to me that book becomes very vignette-y. It's like a series of not short stories, but a series like I almost picture like the curtain parting, and um. Now there's smoke in the cat house. Curtain closes. Now the curtain parts. There's Ronaldo testing magic, but he has his own arc. Each scene has its own arc with the underlying, um, I don't know if cliffhanger's the right word, but the underlying clock ticking of, of Carol being buried alive. So I feel like that was, it, it, it's something that I never want to accidentally even, I never want to, and definitely not intentionally, I never want to manipulate the reader with cliffhangers. It's just something I just don't want to do. And so Unmarried um, Carol, to me, was sort of the ultimate in 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 that. And, yeah, and I think uh, it's really interesting subject you brought up there because I'm reading a book by uh, Nick M- Mamatis, Mamatas. Oh, I just met him. That dude is fucking cool, man. Brilliant, too. Brilliant, dude. A little intimidating. Yeah, he's got he's got a really bright mind, man. <laughs> But he was, I, I'm reading a book called uh, um, Starve Better. It's a collection of essays on writing that have, that has, the essays have appeared in various places over the years. And uh, Apex collected that together. And the last piece I re- read by, in there by him was one on, um, on scene building. And the importance of it and how how important it is to know when you should end a scene and switch on to the next scene and when it's a bad idea to end a scene. You know, like you said, you don't want to inundate people with those cliffhangers. Um, And Unbury Carroll was kind of an exercise in exactly what he was talking about, because like you say, each each chapter is a sort of a vignette. Yet. Like you just said, Carol, the situation with Carol kind of ties all that together and makes it a cohesive story, too. Yeah. Like her her scenario is is your, you know, her scenario could have been written as what Allison and I call a bullet thriller, but it wasn't. And I love it for that. Um, would it have like done better or would it do better? I don't I don't know that it's it's doing great. Blah, blah, blah. Um, oh, by the way, there is a um, uh, I'm very Carol was optioned um i can't really say much more than that but i can say that i read the script all right and i read the script for film and it was absolutely fucking phenomenal it was absolutely phenomenal like it was i mean i guess that it it seems like a sort of sleazy thing to say because it's like the the book verbatim there were a few uh major changes i guess but overall though it still carried that same thing we're talking about right now where each little moment each little scene was um, resolved before moving on to the next one with Carol's condition running through it all. So for that reason alone, Carol would be my favorite. Of the unpublished ones, there's one called Pest that is my favorite one. And Pest is um, about a dude, and it's a little similar to Walter Camp and Goblin, but Pest is about a dude, like a very um, enthusiastic dude. And let's it's about 1901 or something like that. And his friends and his family start telling him, like, um, like, hey, what's wrong? Hey, are you okay? Hey, like, you don't have the same, you know, 
you know, sparkle in your your eye that you once had. And then he's like, what are you talking about? I'm, 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 I'm like the same me I've always been. I'm as happy as a clam, blah, blah, blah. And he starts to suspect that there's an entity in his apartment that is like zapping his um, lust for life, that it's not his own fault, that, that he's not sad, that he's not down, that there's something, there's an entity in his apartment that is stealing his enthusiasm for life bit by bit, and he sets out to catch it. That past is probably like my favorite of the unpublished ones. That sounds amazing to me. Hi, thank you. Um, and I like you say you can't say much about it, and I understand that I won't I won't dig, but I do have to say Umberry Carol is custom made for uh, either the screen or the stage. That that's a per- perfect one to be optioned. I just want to see smoke limping across a movie screen, man, limping across the trail, and I and. And coming up to a carriage that's destroyed, and I want to see him piss on it, you know? I, just, <laughs> I, want, I want to see that on the big screen. I want to see smoke on the big screen, man. That guy means a lot to me. Um, yeah, I amazingly, as evil as the son of a bitch is, that is one of my absolute favorite characters in fiction right now. I, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Rich, sort you of- there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, sort of going off of that, I had another question I was going to ask, but without, I don't know how far along it is, and I know you can't talk about it, but if you could pick an actor to portray Smoke, who would be like your dream casting choice? Great question. Man. Fuck. Um, I have a tendency to lean in, in, in terms of, I feel like you guys know what I'm about to say, but in terms of horror and the like, I have a tendency to lean t- towards the like the completely unknown. But like um, a great example would be in No Country for Old Men when I don't know how to say his name, Javier Bardem, right? Is that how you yeah. Say it? Yeah. So he kind of came out of nowhere to us all. While he might not have been out of nowhere to like the the industry or whatever, he was to us, and that character was extra frightening and extra um, capable of scary shit because of that. So I, I think that, oh, 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 I do have an answer for that, is that whoever the fuck plays Smoke, I feel like he should actually not have legs. That would be awesome. I think it should be an actual amputee or someone just born that way, whatever it is. But I think that's the dude to play Smoke. I think that if you, if you, if you get like, you know, if there's any like CG or whatever with his legs and the way he walks, or that's going to be so obvious and, and, and like goofy but you get a guy that right now is like fuck you know he's trying to make it in the, in this scene in this acting or maybe he's doing well and i don't even know but he doesn't have he doesn't have lower legs anyway and he's like what the fuck how do i still pull this off and we get that dude to play smoke that's who should play smoke that would be fun i can already see kind of you know someone who's proficient on prosthetics and the prosthetic could yeah be dressed up to look like what smoke was set up with and yep um that would be amazing yeah because i picture when i think about smoke and the way he just kind of plods along and he's gonna you know he's gonna get where he's going come hell or high water um and what always comes to mind to me is um the original west world oh and, you know, that character that played the cowboy, I can't remember now if that was Yul Brenner or... Yul Brenner, dude. Yul Brenner, for sure. That's my favorite. 
It's my favorite one-word line in the history of cinema where he goes, draw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It was perfect. It's absolutely – you know what, dude? Oh, my God. That's one of my favorite movies, and I love that um, – it really is one of my favorite movies, and I love that Michael Crichton directed it, and I love that I have the movie poster, and it never struck me that what you're saying right now totally – Yul Brenner in um, Westworld is really similar to Smoke because he's like an he's a robot or an android that is walking unnaturally. And here I ended up writing a book, and you know my favorite character is the one who walks unnaturally in this old western. That is, hmm, wow. And he's and he's kind of got that dynamic. Go, sorry. No, no, that was it. I I just think that you just you just opened a little door for me that I hadn't realized before. Yeah, I fucking love that movie. Yeah, and he had that dynamic, like that, you know, um, slasher flick type dynamic where you've got all the, all the, we talked about this with Hunter Shea, I think, where all the characters, all the protagonists and, and their supporters are all running to beat the band to try to get away from this motherfucker. And he's just plodding along. Just plodding along. Right. There's something, right. There's something zombie-ish about that. But you, Brenner, there, there's no better comparison and just in terms of smoke there's no better comparison than what you just said and i had never thought of that on my own and i love that movie huh interesting i wonder if i saw that movie shortly before um uh coming up with him or whatever i, I kind of hope i did I, I i don't remember now but he's definitely yeah and you know th- and there's something interesting yul brenner is like short and kind of stocky um he's foreign or he was i don't know i don't know what he was exactly but he played um in the Ten Commandments, he played Ramses, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so like yeah. he has a real sort of hard to place um nationality, age, um just just how he moves. Is he like a dancer or is he awkward? Like something like something like that would be absolutely perfect. Um, Josh, uh one thing I wanted to ask you is kind of like the camaraderie of being like an abandoned and stuff and stuff. I know for I can taste the blood, the uh, anthology through Gray Matter Press. You teamed up with uh, Taft, Joe Schwartz, uh, Jay Daniel Stone, and Eric Johnson. Um, I was just curious. I know you guys are doing like a follow up, and you guys called yourself the Five. What is it like, you know, working on your individual story? But it seems like you guys have built kind of your own dynamic okay it's totally horrifying because there's this like super pressure there really is because eric is talk about elasticity eric is by far the most um elastic of all of us and daniel is coming from a like super honest like like um like his life his life put into fiction sort of way and john is a brilliant writer as we know like intimidatingly brilliant writer and so, and Joe, Joe isn't involved in that second one, but no, like nothing bad, but he's not involved in that second one. So, so there is, um, there is like some pressure, man. When you sit down to write, like nothing else, no short story, no novel I've written. Do you ever sit down and you're like, uh, what are the other guys going to think of this? But I do think, um, to answer your question, I do think that there's some, uh, I'm used to it in a sense from being in a band. And so I bring the band a song and they do whatever they want with it. So there is some sense of like, all right, I'm going to bring my part to the song 
And if it's not good, uh, okay, tell me, or I'll realize it on my own, whatever. And but but the, I do feel like there's sort of like the ante is raised a little bit. And dude, I gotta tell you, that second one that the four of us wrote is is really exciting. It's in the hands of a few publishers right now, and it's a really exciting. Man, I fucking love that one, actually. I do. And then um, I really do. And and John Taff and I have talked at length about um, writing a novel together. And he has he has a really good idea for what that novel should be. And he even sent me like a sort of a piece of what um, his like it would sort of be like two characters. Um, uh, whatever. Just like he writes one character. I write the other. Let's just say that, I guess, for now. And he he sent me a piece of his, and it was it was great. And I haven't written him back yet about it, but I think John and I are probably going to do that. And I hope that the four of us, um, me, Eric, Daniel, and John, get this second one published because it's great. And and really though, both of those books were more or less started by John. John wrote us all the first time for I Can Taste the Blood, and he wrote us all the second time, and he submitted his story first for the second round. And uh, John is pretty much like the engine of that thing, but it, it's a, yeah, it's a little intimidating. But I imagine it is for him too. I think yeah, but I think also he's got a knack for that. Like um, I think he also drove uh, the Seven Deadliest anthology that just released recently. Yeah. Oh, and it just seems to be John. I mean, John is just a multi-talented dude and a criminally criminally underappreciated dude. Yeah, he, he to me John, John is uh he's like a modern giant. He's he's you know he's but I feel like everyone in the like I feel like we all like everyone in the genre knows that for sure. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, but I know what you mean in terms of like he maybe has an experience like a wider hit like the Changeling for Victor or Headful of Ghosts for Paul or Bird Box for me. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to. Of course, that doesn't mean that. And I think that um, I don't think any of us would be surprised if uh, his next book or even The Fearing. Did you guys read The Fearing? Oh, man. Kidding? Yeah, we uh, we we both read the first two and we're actually doing a series with uh, John where we do like a podcast with him about each book. We did like a background one, then book one. And pretty soon we're going to have to do uh, one for book two. But yeah, yeah, that's a fantastic book, and I think I really believe deep down that that's the book that's gonna break him to a more wide stream readership. So I read the whole thing. Did you guys read the whole thing already? I got the whole thing at once, and I <laughs> no. and I, have, I have it all in a, like printed out, like printed off from your computer, like stack in my office, and it's fucking dude, it is phenomenal, and there, and there's an energy in the very opening scene of that book. Um, where he's like leaving New York in the cab or the car or whatever it is. And I wrote John, it, it electrified me so much that I was like, I, I also want to write a big book that begins with two people fleeing New York, but not in the same scenario, not, not for the same reason. But I wanted to sort of like a hat tip like the John. So I wrote John like, I don't think I've ever been this electrified at the beginning of a story as I am with this one. Can do you mind if I do the same, like the same opening? Two guys are fleeing the city. He was like, of course, I don't care. I was like, okay, okay. So I so I started that book, and it ended up being 1,100 pages. I dedicated it to John. I should send him that book. I haven't yet. Dedicated it to him. But the point is, 
the fearing really, really sent me, really sent me somewhere, man. I feel like John tapped into something, you know, super special. But the thing is, he always does. So I get what you mean when you say criminally, um, uh, like underappreciated or unknown. But at the same time, I don't know. I I, I have this feeling, or I, I I almost have this like belief that John, you know, is going to end up exactly where he should be, which is like, you know, known in this era as one of the greats. And I feel like that's, however that happens, I don't know, but I feel like that's going to be known. I agree. I agree. I don't, th- I don't see how it couldn't possibly. I agree. Um, but, but what? I completely forgot what I was just going to follow. That's because I talk so much. <laughs> Rich, is uh, a, Rich is like, no shit. Yeah, Rich no, is like, no. if, you, if you two could shut the fuck up and I could get a word in here. <laughs> no, no. Actually, I've, I've been digging this conversation. But um, yeah, to, your point of, to your point about the fearing, like each book, like when I, especially when I read that second one, and this is how I felt even about Bird Box the first time I read it. it the first time I read Bird Box... Like, I had gotten out of reading for a long time, and then I started picking back up, and horror was always my first love. And one of the first books I read was Bird Box, and I had the same experience with that that I did with, especially the second book in The Fearing, where it ignited something in me, like, when I first start, like, when I first fell in love with reading, and I told John that, and... He said that was like one of the biggest compliments he got, but it's so true. Like both of your books, that one in particular from John and Bird Box from you, those were like the Bird Box was the first one that got me back into it. And the second one from the fearing, I got that feeling that I haven't had for a while, which is nothing against other books I've read because there's so many great writers out there and so many great horror books. But those two books in particular captured that feeling that I had when I first, you know, got into the genre and was like, you know, they totally took me over. Like I thought about Bird Box for the longest time. Yeah, kind of like swan song level material there, huh? Yeah. Man, uh thank you, Rich. Uh yeah, that's uh that's pretty fucking awesome. I'll tell you a book that um I, I not that I ever wasn't in this place, but one that really, and I talk about it, maybe I talk about it too much at this point, to be honest with you, but it, The Loney. Did you guys read the fucking Loney? Fucking great book, dude. Oh <laughs> my God, that book just fucking thrilled me, man. Like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So, and I'm not so anti-thriller like Allison and I, these bullet thrillers, like, again, Bird Box fits into that category, but The Loney, The Loney, when it opens with the brother's a best-selling author, and then minutes later you realize the brother is like mentally incapacitated, and you're like, "How does he become a best-selling author?" And you're like, "Holy shit, this book is this is interesting, man." Yeah, that 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 book was elevated stuff for me, and I, I know the word elevated is sort of frowned upon in the genre right now, but but the Loney was 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 high stuff for me, man. I haven't seen anything from that guy. So he has, a second book, book, really. he has a second book called Devil's Day, I think, and I right. haven't haven't read it yet, and I should, and I will. Um, 
but I haven't read it yet. But I don't. I'm whatever. I expect it to be great. You know, another guy that's like kind of doing that, or two other guys that are kind of doing that for me is um, uh, Dathan Arbach with the Pen Pal and Badman. You guys read that? Uh, you guys read Pen Pal? I read both of those books. Yeah, and love both of those books. Wow, Pen Pal, both of them, right? But Pen Pal was like. What, like, who the, f- that's what I was talking about before, that, the fear of the unknown. It was this sense of, like, who the fuck wrote this book? Not, where is this book going? It's the same thing with, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, it wasn't just, like, are they going to kill those kids? It's, like, who the fuck made this? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what kind of fucking strange mind did this shit yeah. come out of? Pen pal. Um, Woo! And the other dude for me right now, I don't know how to say his name, but I'm going to say Ian Reed with, um, I'm thinking oh, yeah. of, I, I liked I'm thinking of many things. I, I liked it, and I know that and, it's um, being a Charlie Kaufman movie and all this exciting shit, but Foe really, really sent me, man. Really sent me. Loved it. Yeah, um, I, have, I have his first book, uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, but uh, great. Tony, Tony Jones, I haven't read it yet, but I have it. Um, Tony Jones, who sometimes writes for us, he told us Foe is like totally outstanding, and I, outstanding. I can't wait to get to those. And there's and there's a couple of like tricks that are played with the actual um like text itself, and you'll see what I mean by the end. Um, and I read that book. You did. And you're that's a perfect example of uh the elastic elasticity you were talking yep. about earlier. It fucking is man. It totally fits exactly right there. You're right. It's like, is Foe a horror novel? Yes. Why? I don't know, but it is. And yeah. I, I never want to explain it more than that. <laughs> and the same thing could be said about um, your most recent novel, Inspection. Is that, okay, is this a really a horror novel? Well, absolutely. Yeah. But why? What makes it a horror novel? Why isn't it not, why don't, don't you consider it a sci-fi novel or, you know... Yeah. Uh, like you said, uh, one of those, um, what do you call a bullet thriller? Yeah. Um, but it's not. It's a horror novel. Yep. And that, that's how I feel about all 30 of these. And that's where I've come from from the start. And I, when the band was on the road, I would hand out um, the rough drafts that I was writing to the other bands we were playing with, like the headliners or the opening band, whatever. And then um, when I started dating Allison, I kept calling them horror. And a lot of my friends would be like, I, I don't know if I would call this horror, you know, like inspection or some other ones. And I'm like, no, yeah, it is. It is. And I think that that sort of um, like sort of ignorant at not ignorant, but sort of like um, hard headed attitude on my part. And a lot of us. And again, us is all of us like you, me, uh, 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 I, for some reason, I'm, I don't. I don't want to make a list, but I imagine there's 60 to 100 of us that that are, are this new sort of um this new crop, and like what a moment in time that we're all a part of, and we're all pretty much to me, we're all like equal in terms of say in philosophy in in what we contribute to all this, what we're doing. I'm not even trying to sound noble. It just feels that way to me. It feels like we all have like equal say, but we all also have equal responsibility of contributing. And I think that there's sort of been this battering ram of all of us that is like, yes, this is horror, that things that might not have been uh, even in the Splatterpunk era, man. 
and yeah, oh yeah, way beyond even that. That was just kind of uh, the tip of a great big huge iceberg. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, Clive Barker and Co. Um, and Skip Inspector. You know who I haven't read yet, which is like a criminal of me, is um, David Shao or Scow Shao. I haven't read him yet. I the only thing I've read by Scow is his first collection and um, the Kill Riff, which are both phenomenal. Is the first one like red something or dark something? Uh, it's like short. Seeing story. red. Seeing yeah. red. So seeing red and the Kill Riff are both phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bob Pastorella recommended Seeing Red to me a while back because we're writing a series of articles on the splatterpunk genre. And um, Seeing Red, he said, was one of the best collections that had ever been um, produced, which is which is pretty high praise, you know. So I had to read it. And that book owned me cover to cover. And I think it will anybody who is a who is actually has any taste in literature, you know. <laughs> so hold on, hold on. Still hear me, but hold on. So I have I have both right here in my office, right on the shelf. The Kill Riff. Lucas Ellington's daughter is dead, trampled by an out of control mob at a rock concert, turned riot. There was no trial, but Lucas has identified the murderers, the band Whip Hand. Yeah, so I literally have a fucking gorgeous, um, really gorgeous, this might be a first edition, actually, um, paperback right here in my office, and it is a first edition. The Kill Riff. I got it from Thrift Books. You guys know that one? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't have that one, but I have, uh, which I... I'm like, I have a problem with hoarding books. Like, I buy all these fantastic books faster oh, than I can say. read them. <laughs> and uh, I think I think one of his other ones is called Lost Angels. Ooh, what's that one? Um, I think that's a short story collection. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Will Erickson, who helped Grady Hendrix with Paperbacks from Dead. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Paperbacks from Hell. Yeah, I met him. He was like, oh, yeah, he's like, that was, like, one of my favorites. You're in for a real treat. But like I said, with doing reviews and just buying books, like, I buy books faster than I can read them. But I do have that one, and he said that was, like, one of his favorites. Yeah, it's probably about to be both of our, one of both of our favorites as well. And I also have yeah. Seeing Red here as well. God, I wish you fucking dudes were in my office right now, man. I have, um... Like, I do, too. Holy shit. Yeah. So I got uh, the first copy of Rage paperback. So I'm right here on the shelf. Oh, got, man. Yeah. Like the Holy Trail <laughs> of Horror paperback. I got the original off season. I got the silly cheerleader skeleton for the girl. Oh, I got a awesome. bunch of novelizations, including a mint of the thing. Oh, my God. There's so much good stuff in here. And, man. And like, like the the one of the beauties of collecting horror paperbacks is like, I, I mean, what is how much how much is well I know Rage is a lot, but how yeah. much is like how much is Kill Rip that I'm holding right now first edition I don't know, I, no idea is it five ten twenty thirty I don't even know doesn't matter it's just fucking awesome like it, it, there's never it's never like what's the most expensive book you have it's more like yeah uh, which books you got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's because I don't have a clue. Like I have probably every single first edition layman ever ever produced. 
I don't know what they're worth. I don't have a clue. Not even within a ballpark. I don't so, care. Well, <laughs> so, yeah. Brad, um, I read Island, uh, Blood Games. I read Dark Mountain. I read The Steak. Dude, The Steak was so good. Did you read The Steak by Layman? The Steak is amazing. I love that book. Amazing, man. Um, Island is probably my absolute favorite book of his for just sheer mayhem. Sheer mayhem. And, and like, cartoonish. It's almost like a parody of himself, but that can also work. And then, oh, oh, In the Dark, and I think I said Dark Mountain, The Cellar. I didn't love The Cellar, but whatever. I have no idea why. I, I Whatever. I shouldn't even have said that, to be honest with you. Um... But whatever, yeah. That, I want to read um uh the vampire uh the traveling vampire show. That's a great book too. That is a really fun book, and it pro- in a way, it's uh probably his uh his calmest book. <laughs> That's what I've heard. It's sort of like the least like him. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That it, excites it, me. See, that goes back to what Rich was asking before about or bringing up before about the changing in styles with the same voice, like. That excites me. I want to read. I want to see David Lynch's straight story. I want to read uh, Layman's traveling vampire show. Like that shit's. It's just. It's fun. And like when when Tarantino comes out with this new movie, which I haven't seen yet, but like I love the sense that it's like it's something different from from like I don't know, just a brilliant artist of our time, you know. Um. Yeah. If it's got Tarantino's name on it, it's it's got elasticity to the fucking nth. You know. <laughs> like. Right. This is yeah. This is something that he uh, he came upon right from the start. What we're talking about right now. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. He's a perfect example of that. Um. God, I lost my training. I do this all the time. For one thing, I have severe ADHD, which is why I'm so fucking anxious all the time. Um, but I lose my thoughts, so I wrote it down. Oh. Um, I had just a little bit of trivia here. Um, Allison plays with a little group called Ohio Wild. Is that yep. correct? Yep. They have a song called Howltown. Yep. What came first, the song or the or the story? So Jim, who my God, uh, again, I wish you guys were in my office, and I wish Jim was here. And you know what? Okay, maybe we'll make that happen. I don't know if either of you have been to Michigan, but now you should um, and come to my house. You know Doug Morano. You know you know the editor. Absolutely. So Doug yeah. was driving back from um, Scares the Care all the way to South Dakota, and about exactly halfway is is my area. And I was like, why don't you and your family of six come stay at our house? And he was like, all right. And it was man, it was a magical night. Like it's it's exactly what I've always wanted. I had like this like brilliant horror personality and author in or uh, editor in my house. We were talking like horror. His kids were like, like hanging out and sleeping together in the other room, like, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And so my point is, I feel like you guys should also make that trek. <laughs> I would, I would absolutely love to do that. Yeah, um, it's kind of, kind of a bullet list item for me is to hang out with you and with Taff and um and if that's the way if that's the case then maybe we should do that in St. Louis area well he moved to Illinois but I wonder if there's like some middle yeah well he's closer I wonder if there's some like 
middle ground that isn't like a convention that we can all do that together. You know what I mean? That would be fantastic. And sometimes yeah. we uh we joke with uh Tony from Grey Matter. Every once in a while, he's like, "Oh, we should all get together," and then Shane and them mostly bust on me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we Tony and I talked one time about uh, meeting in meeting in Chicago and then just dropping in on John without even telling him we're coming. Oh, he would probably love that, dude. Are you kidding me? Even I if think... it surprised him at first, like even if at first he was like, "What do I do?" By the end of the night, he'd be like, "This is the best night of my life." And yeah, and Deb would make us all sleep in the yard. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, that I think coming out there, hanging out with you guys, and um, just doing what we're doing now, only with a beer in our hand and and a face to face, you know. Hey, I got this book. Look at it. Right, right. Because it's just like I mean, like I know whatever. We're all good. But there's just like there's just something about seeing the electricity in the other dude's eyes, man. And and, and I'm not trying to sound like a like I'm high or something, which I wish I was. But it's I like, am. Yeah, well, are you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I pretty much smoke weed nonstop from about noon forward. So. So I did it the other day. I hadn't done it in a long time, and I did it with um a friend of mine, who he's like way the fucking. It would be like doing it with you, I guess. He does it all the time, every day. And I was like, he's like, here's a joint I brought you. And I was like, hey, is this body or mine? Is this? He's like, oh, dude, you're gonna be fine. I'm like, Jake, is it body or mine? And he's like, well, it's mostly body. I was like, what do you mean mostly body? How much mine? He's like, you're going to be fine. And then, like, I smoked it, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's perfect. Thanks, man. (laughs) (laughs) But you never know. You never know. You never know. It's like I have to be really careful because of the anxiety thing we've talked about. You get the wrong wrong weed, and it'll send you to an emergency room. Yeah, no shit, dude. (laughs) I'm, like, calling my mom and saying, oh, my God. God, I want to crawl back in. And she's like, dude. <laughs> well, this is devolving quickly. <laughs> I love my mom. Uh, I love I love your mom because she made you, so. Um but you that might be, you know, loving your mom too much. <laughs> What do you mean? How dare you? So, so to try and get us back a little on track, um, <laughs> Josh, I know you have uh, the House of Hand coming up, the Creep Show anthology show on Shudder. Yes. Now, was that based off of like a short story, or did you write this specifically for Creepshow? So, I it's in you know you know Mark Morris like I think he's from England. Yeah, yeah. So Mark Morris put out a collection of short stories called New Fears. New and, Fears, I reviewed it. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. And the House of the Head is in that um, anthology, and. I talked to one of the producers of Creepshow. His name's Brian Witten. I talked to him about, he told me what he was doing uh, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, can I send you something? And I sent him like 20 ideas or something. And he was like, hey, this house of the head sounds, oh, he read it. And he called me when I was at um, Allison's parents' place in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. And he was like, dude, I, I fucking love this story. Let's do this. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. And then I wrote the script. 
And I even saw the episode already. And I'm flying out to um, L.A. September 12th because there's a creep show premiere. And it's the first um, episode. And each episode is two stories. And that first episode is Stephen King's Grey Matter and My The House of the Head. And I was like, I don't care whether or not you dudes are paying for this flight or not. I am fucking coming in this thing. So Alex and I are going out there. Uh, how could you not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Kind of like that. Kind of like that experience with the bird box thing. Watching you guys go through that experience, I was I was kind of like, ah, oh, my little boys growing up because I was so happy <laughs> to see you guys experiencing that shit. You know. <laughs> oh man, talk about surreal, dude. So I I had to um or whatever. I was the first to walk the red carpet because like. Whatever, because I wrote the book and, you know, some people took photos, whatever. And then when I had already walked by, Sandra Bullock and co. come out on the carpet and there's a million photos going on. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go have a cigarette. And my agent literally pushed me back into the fray. She was like, I am getting a photo of you and Sandra Bullock. Get back out there. And she like shoved. I was like, well, Chris, I already like made the walk or whatever. She's like, get back out there. And she shoved me. And all of a sudden, I'm standing next to, you know, Trevante Rose and Sandra Bullock, and uh, and I'm trying to remember who else was in the photo. Uh, oh, Suzanne Beer, the director. And all of a sudden, all these cameras are flashing, and now I see those photos, and it looks like the most natural thing ever, as if the four of us were drinking martinis on the rooftop pool, and then we took the elevator down, and then we walked the red carpet together. No, that's not what happened. I walked, <laughs> I walked alone, and my agent was like, literally physically shoved me back out there and i'm like Kristen, thank you <laughs> uh, yeah you have a great agent fantastic yeah. agent yeah Kristen's, sure. Kristen's amazing but i can't imagine i i think i would probably just faint if somebody even stood me next to next to sandra bullock That's yeah. i think i did but i i think i fainted but i remained standing standing with your eyes open but you're gone <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it was like that. Yes. So, um, I think we've kept you for like an hour and a half, pushing two or something now. So, um, I think we should wind this down and let you go spend some time with Allison. And um, I got, I just booked my ticket. I'll be at your house in the morning. <laughs> we're, not joking, we're not joking around about that shit. Any, any In fact. When we get off here or whatever, let's actually talk more about that. That is something we just like to do it. We have a friend. There's a friend in the other room right now, and I told you Doug came by. It's just – it's it's a very um, uh, encouraging, like artistically encouraging place. And I don't mean to sound like like Spawn Ranch or whatever, but it really is like, in, in like, an, like an encouraging artistic place. My friend Mark came over. I was working on the new book. He sat across from the desk, which I'm looking at in the chair right now. And he wrote his book, like, and, and, like, I don't know. It's just the kind of thing where, like, anything goes. Like, you can just do your own fucking thing. You, you feel like reading? Great. You feel like talking about shit? Great. You feel like getting wasted? Great. You feel like being sober? Great. Like, we're, it's a good place. Awesome. Awesome. Um, it's, yeah, definitely something we need to make happen, and we will talk about that off offline here. All right. Awesome. All and right. Rich? Rich? What's that? Sorry, I didn't. Oh, you too. 
Oh yeah, for sure. Like I'm hoping I'm roping you into this too. <laughs> oh, that would be great. Like I said, Shane, I think of him as like my best friend and I've never even met him in person, but I told him actually earlier tonight, I was like, one of my bucket lists is to meet him in person. Yeah, maybe we should go to Portland now that you put it that way. Uh, and also, Johnson, oh man, there. I've always wanted to go to Portland. Yeah, maybe we should go to Portland. Allison was there. We went there for that was our first um uh 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 and I don't remember what it was called at the time, but the Stoker Awards. What was it called when it was like World Horror? Uh, I can't remember what it was. Yeah, called. Yeah, World Horror Convention. I yeah. Think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That was our first one, and I went to that thing. I asked HarperCollins, so Bird Box wasn't out yet, and I asked them for a box of hardcovers that I wanted to just hand out for free. And they were like, what do you mean hand out for free? These are like, we're getting some of these <laughs> books. You can make like $600 or $1,200. And I was like, I don't know. I just feel like this is the right thing to do. No one's ever heard of me. No one's ever seen this book. I know the book looks pretty, the hardcover, but like, I'm just going to fucking go hand out like 60 copies. And I set up a little stand that said, Free, free hardcovers. And I met, like, I don't know, 20 people that I still talk to, like, regularly now from just standing at that fucking table. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. I, I can't imagine. I, I probably that, I'm sure it was that same con. Um, I did the bar con. I didn't do the con because most of the time I can't really afford those things. But uh, I didn't get, I missed you. I missed most everybody. <laughs> I met John Skip there. Is that where you met him at? Yep. I met John Skip there, and now John and I are... Man, I, Allison and I made a weird movie that we flew John in town for. John and I are working now on like another project that he's writing a script for. Every time we go to L.A., we've seen it. Like I absolutely love that man. And you, Shane, I'm telling you... You guys are primed to hang out. Either just write them or I will or whatever, and you're going to absolutely – I feel like it's best friends waiting to happen. Uh, I am definitely going to make that happen somehow, and I'm a I'm a bold person. I'm not afraid to just say, hey, yeah. hi, I'm me. Talk exactly. to me. Why not, right? <laughs> Worst case scenario, someone's like, what? And you're like, ah, whatever the fuck. That was weird. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I've, I, I've contacted people and said – Hey, I'd really like to talk to you sometime, or, or I'd really like to do this, or I'd really like to review your book, and have them just say, "Yeah, whatever, fuck off." And I'm cool, <laughs> I'm cool with that. If that's how you feel, cool. I'll just right. roll right. it off and move right. on. Right, I, I totally agree. So anyway, we here we oh. go segueing into a whole new conversation <laughs> <laughs> again. Uh, Josh, um, you have a very short window to get those rewrites done for my next novel from you. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but I'm looking forward to that. Everybody I know. Is... <laughs> hey, Shane. Yeah. Are you on Twitter right now? Um, I am now. I just sent you. Hold on. I want... Yeah. See, look what I sent you. That looks fucking gorgeous, doesn't it? Uh, Josh sent a photo. He did. Oh fuck, dude, that is amazing, dude. That is, and, I, and also, I I hate to show you that I've been wearing um polka dot shorts this whole time that we've been talking. 
Oh, is that what I'm looking at? I'm going, I'm going to the book. More importantly, the book on top of the shorts. Hillcraft looks unbelievable. <laughs> it does. Yeah, uh, it does. I loved, hear, I loved hearing Shane's brain go in real time. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to send this to you, Rich. You'll love this. <laughs> yeah, Shane. Shane's the mastermind of the Ink Heist Twitter. Oh yeah, like and 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 most of my Twitter feed, like to be honest with you, yeah, he's like he's one of the most exciting things in the world. You and Sadie like really, really direct like a lot of a lot of my attention to like a lot of books, and a lot of us feel that way, man. Like the the shit that you guys are doing, man. That's what I mean when I say the writers, the reviewers, the readers, the the publishers, the agents. Like like there's a real fucking thing happening right now, and I want to call it a movement. There's a group of people that are like Frankensteinian the next Stephen King. There is no next Stephen King. There's like a hundred of us that are the, uh, that are the big thing at once, and it's a very exciting moment. Who wants to be the next Stephen King? Who wants the next Stephen King? We have a Stephen King. Yep. And, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's a, he's a great writer. I love him. I yep. don't need another one. Yeah, not to completely devolve into another long topic but uh, i think we mentioned on a couple of our podcasts like right now as far as like indie horror even and that's including people who publish with bigger houses but also lesser known writers that publish with a small press like i feel like this is one of the best times for horror fiction like there's so many great books so many great authors it's it's unreal. It, it's inspired Shane and I actually to like team up and try and write something together. Yeah, dude. Now we're talking. Uh, we're write, writing something really fucking weird. I'll send it to you when yeah. we finish it. <laughs> I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry to out us, Shane, but <laughs> no. But that's like the, that's the era we're in. Just get loose, get loose, and I, and it's not like it's not exactly like hippie where I'm like get loose. We all fuck each other. It's not like that. It's, <laughs> Like, it's more like that sounds true, but it's not that. It's more like it's more like just like get loose because because like we we all all of our like what we're into is like really um expansive. All of us like I love the quietest fucking story in the world. I love the bullet thriller. I love the like slasher. I love the like I don't even know if anything happened at all. I love the short story. I love the thousand page novel. It's like we're really in a moment right now where most of us can agree that our tastes, our loves, what we're interested in, what's inspiring us is super expansive. So if you're going to fucking write a story, now is a really wonderful time to do it. Uh, absolutely, because not only on the writing end is it super expansive, but like you say, the readers are so much more open yep. to new new things. Yeah. Mm. Um Readers, reviewers, what are the filmmakers? My God, there's like a golden era right now, man. Yeah, oh yeah, outrageous, outrageous. Um, and uh, yeah, I love some of the stuff coming out of both fiction and film. Um, Del Toro's done some brilliant stuff. Tarantino, uh, those guys that did um, Endless. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Benson and Warhead, I think. Did they Endless? Did they do that movie Spring? Or am I thinking of something else? Yep. Yeah, no, they, they did uh, Spring and Resolution. They so I, I, think three. I saw Spring. I haven't seen Endless Resolution. I also have not seen this. 
There's one significant one I haven't seen yet, and I can't remember what it is. Oh, just the Tarantino. I haven't seen that Once Upon a Time in uh, Hollywood yet. I haven't either. Uh, yeah. No spoilers, Josh, but if you're going to watch the other one from uh, the guys who did Spring, watch Resolution first. Then oh, yeah. Atlas. Right, because they're like, they're like connected. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I knew that. I knew that, Rich. I mean, you could you could do it in either order, but I thought it was better starting with resolution into endless. I agree. Sweet. I agree. Sweet. So, all right, Josh, I got a I got a boogie. My dogs need to go outside. So, <laughs> life life calls. <laughs> hey guys, thank you so much for doing this. I love you guys for doing this, and just in general, and whatever. I let's do it again. Um, in case, in the event. Have you ever interviewed someone who is ungrateful or, or not appreciating how awesome this kind of thing is? I'm not that guy. I totally am grateful and excited that this happened. Thank you, guys. I'm glad you're yeah, that way because I, I just about vomited when I realized I just told Josh <laughs> Mailerman I have to hang up. There's a side of me that can keep going on. Like for, I mean, I think you can probably hear it in my voice. I can fucking go all night. And that's why I'm saying let's go to a fucking bar. I'm the same way. And I, I would I would sit and drink with you all night long and do this. Right. Well, we, like It's 10 right now. We would be like, oh, my God, it's so early. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> we'll definitely make it happen somehow, some way. Awesome. All right. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. Thank you guys so right. much. Take yep, it bye. easy. Bye.